The Other Side of Darkness is brought to you in part by Tweed's Cafe of North Bend, Washington, the real-world site of the Twin Peaks Double R. Stop by in person at 137 West North Bend Way for a slice of cherry pie and a damn good cup of coffee, and follow Tweed's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Tweed's Cafe. Welcome to The Other Side of Darkness, an episodic Seinfeld parody story that follows Jerry, George, Elaine, and Kramer on a dark and mysterious journey inspired by the work of David Lynch. The Other Side of Darkness is produced by Sign Peaks. I'm Jesse, also known as Sign Peaks, your host and narrator. You're listening to Phase 1 of this podcast, in which I'll be speaking with cast and crew members from Seinfeld, sharing their stories and memories from the show. Phase 2, the series itself, begins this fall. In this episode, I'm sharing a conversation I recorded last year with Seinfeld's composer Jonathan Wolf, who created the show's legendary theme music as well as music for over 75 shows like Married with Children, The King of Queens, and Will and Grace. This interview was originally conducted for the weekly parenting podcast I co-host, Dad's Planning a Fatherhood Podcast. Jonathan shares the story of his career in television and how he created the theme to Seinfeld, and even demonstrates it for us on his piano. Then, Jonathan and I shift gears and discuss life as a working parent, raising five children, and balancing his family life with his career. Jonathan had some great advice and a really unique, wholesome perspective to share, and I think you're going to enjoy hearing from him. In case you haven't heard, Water Tower Music has just released the official Seinfeld soundtrack with over 30 of Wolf's themes from the show, even the really obscure stuff like the theme from the Jerry Pilot and Kramer's Boombox music from the package. I bought it, I love it, and if you're a fan, honestly, you just gotta get it. You can check it out on iTunes, Amazon, or wherever you get your music. After the interview, stick around for this week's featured guest, Pierre. Now, here is the great Jonathan Wolf. Jonathan, thanks for talking with us today. Let's start off with your career in television. How did all of this start out for you? Well, when I was a kid, I actually built my own little bicycle, but it Mm -hmm. crashed into a tree and sank in a pond. Music it is. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) It was, it was what I was always good at. I was always the music kid. I had superpowers and that was music. I was not very good at anything else and didn't really care about anything else. So it seemed logical when I turned 17. You know how Harry Potter, when he turned 17, things changed and he had to leave and go. Mm -hmm. Same for me. I went to California just as Harry was drawn to Hogwarts, I was drawn to Hollywood. So everywhere I turned and I'd ask people, well, where's the best musicians? And people would all say, boy, I wish I'd have gone to LA when I had the chance. Mm. So that was my introduction to TV was when I got there, I had really excellent rounded deep training. I, I was capable of doing lots of different jobs and wearing lots of different musical hats. So the studios were happy to greet me. They <laughs> treated me like a Swiss Army multi-purpose utility tool for musical chores. Nice. And I was happy to do it. The phone just rang like crazy and I made plenty of money. And I, it was like on the job training, doing all these chores, trained me for what came later, which was to be a composer for TV but I did a lot of odd jobs for the studios before I earned the title of composer. Wow. Out of all of these 75 plus shows that you've done, I'm interested in one, what was your favorite experience? And then two, 
what was part of your process uh, coming up with themes, like the theme for Seinfeld, uh, the theme for Will and Grace? Because they're all very unique to their shows, and they're, they're all very good matches for the style and the pace and all of that. Um, so I guess first question is, what was your favorite? And then second was, um, how did you come up with these, with these musical cues and themes? At this time, it's easy for me to pick my favorite because it's the one that pays me the most money and allows me to stay retired and be a full-time dad. And that one is Seinfeld because <laughs> it's broadcast and streamed and sold, projected yep. <laughs> all over the world. And I don't know how many languages Seinfeld is translated into. So that translates to me being able to relax and enjoy the rest of my life. Uh, so that is clearly my favorite. As far as my creative process, I'm a bit of a mercenary. The creative process went something like this. You pay me money, I write music. <laughs> All right. It's like an ATM machine. You give me the right pin code, I give you the right music. There you uh, go. And after a while, you get really good at hitting the ball hard. At mm -hmm. first, you know, you know, my batting average wasn't very good. Then I got better and better at it. And... Uh, my win-loss ratio improved. Uh, so, all right, we'll talk about those two that you asked about. Uh, what was the the creative part of, of, we'll start with Seinfeld. My good buddy, George Wallace, told me to expect a call from his best friend, Jerry Seinfeld. Yes, in real life, Jerry Seinfeld has a best friend named George. It's George <laughs> and he's a fantastic comedian. Oh, he may be the funniest man on the planet. And I'm really grateful that my good buddy, George, made that referral to me. As a small mm -hmm. business person, you need the same thing that any shoe store or dentist needs. You need yep. repeat customers and customer loyalty, brand recognition. You need all those same basic small business principles. And one of those is referrals. George referred me to his friend, Jerry, who called me and described to me a sound design issue. It did not sound like a music assignment. He told me that the opening credits for his show called The Seinfeld Chronicles oh was to be Jerry standing in front of a crowd telling jokes and the people laugh. And he wanted theme music to go with it, something unique and special and identifiable. And I said, Jerry, that's kind of a recipe for an audio conflict because in the late 80s, theme music if you go back and look at some of those themes, a lot of, a lot of melodic, a lot of mm. silly lyrics and sassy saxophones. Guilty. <laughs> I created a lot of that kind of music. But it was going to interfere with the audio of Jerry's voice. Mm. So I said, tell you what, how about if we treat this like an oral landscape? Your voice is the melody of the Seinfeld theme. My job mm. will be to accompany you in a way that's musical and fun and quirky and identifiable, but will not interfere with the audio mm. of your voice telling jokes. Uh, and he said, okay, how's that work? And I said, well, for starters, the organic nature of your human voice telling jokes might go well with the organic nature of my human mouth, lips, tongue, finger snaps, noises that a human can make like this. And I had his attention. At any pitch, no matter what business you're in, if you're in a pitch meeting, there's a moment where you have to grab their attention so they're not looking around anymore. 
And that was my moment for him because that was music from Mars. And <laughs> sampling was in its infancy then. And I was really, I really wanted to use that as much as possible because I was kind of a technophile. And I said, come on over, I'll show you how it works. And he came over and he brought with him some video of him talking. And I, I did the lip finger snap thing. And I said, I tell you what, we can, you know, in a comedy club, the old style vaudeville comedy club, there used to be a drummer that would hit rim shots after a joke. So the people <laughs> knew where to laugh. I can do something similar to that. I'll use a slap bass. What's a slap bass? Because at that time, slap bass had not yet earned celebrity status as a solo instrument. <laughs> I brought it forward, put it on the table, illuminated it, and made it sound really weird and nasal, and used it. I, I, I created a melody, a bass melody, so simple, so basic, so sophomoric, that it did not require meter, did not require four beats to the bar. It could stop and start like this. And then he could tell his joke and hit a punchline. And in that way, I could architect using these musical elements like Lego style to manipulate mm -hmm. them modularly to fit the timings and the dynamics of each of his monologues. I knew that that was gonna cause me to have to rebuild this mm -hmm. structure for every monologue, oh, every boy. episode. And that was work. okay, it was kind of, kind of job security. Yeah, <laughs> nice is, way to build it in. Yeah, right, by the way, how, I have to be there every week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was how that theme was born. Now, of course, after he got a couple of jokes in, then I was able to do an exposition of the, the melody of the theme itself. Ooh. I don't know if you're able to hear that okay over this. It sounded Zoom. great. But, uh, that is how it was born. I did it with Jerry sitting there in my office. It was a Saturday. No one was there. It was just me and him. And his girlfriend brought over burritos. And then he <laughs> called Larry and he held the phone. Remember, there was no internet. There was no none of this stuff. Yep. So he took the telephone and held it up to the speakers and said, Larry, listen to this. And Larry heard it over the phone. And he goes, yeah, I like that. that that's funny. That's funny. I like that. And uh, so that is how it got approved. It was just instant. Just that oh, easy. Wow. <laughs> uh, later, the network had other things to say about it. But for now, at that point, my hardest job was done. I'd created a signature, an instantly mm -hmm. identifiable moniker on a, a sonic brand for Seinfeld. And that's how that one was born. You asked about Will and Grace. I had worked with these guys before. Nice guys, mm -hmm. brilliant writers. I'd done a few series for them. And they had this habit. They would call me from editing and say, <laughs> hey, Wolf, I know we owe you a cut today because we mix tomorrow. But this episode of whatever show it was at the time, a lot of dialogue. It's really thick. It's really dense. And we need more time in editing to cut it down. So you're not going to get a cut. Sorry. And I would say, that's okay. There'll be music at the mix. It'll be fine. Oh, thank you. We love you. And this would happen regularly. So when Will and Grace started up, and of course they hired me to be the composer, 
and I started seeing these scripts with 40 or 50 pages in them. And guys, it's a 22-minute show. There's no chance. Am I ever going to get a, a, a tape? Because at the time, they were actually tapes. There wasn't uh -huh. a digital video. And they said, well, no, you're right. We'll probably edit it up to the last nanosecond. And so I said, how about this, guys? I've been saving this trick. I play piano pretty good. How about if we make the voice of Will and Grace piano? Kind of like the voice of Seinfeld was bass, mm -hmm. slap bass. Piano will speak for Will and Grace. And they, well, won't it all kind of sound the same? Oh, guys, you know, just like each of your main four characters is each a supercharged dynamic individual, mm -hmm. so can the each of the pieces of music for transition throughout the show on piano be different. It can be, piano can be earthy like Elton John. It can be hip like Dave Grusin, cool like Chick Corea. It can be funny like Chico Marx. It can be flamboyant like Liberace. All uniquely different styles, but yeah. one singular voice. Come on over guys, I'll show you how it works. So they came over and I played, I improvised for them a few themes and we, were, we recorded each of them and they picked one and that became the theme for Will and Grace. The creative process for that show, since there was never time with the cut, I had to do it in real time. So I would just lean my head over the keys of this piano, which is now mm -hmm. with me in Kentucky, and music would fall out onto the keys. And that's mm -hmm. how I would create the music for Will and Grace. That theme for Will and Grace, the one they picked, if I can still remember how to play it. Now let's shift gears for a minute and talk about your life as a dad. How hard was it uh, working in television and working as a composer? How hard was it to balance your career as your role with a dad? Were you able to kind of mix them in together? Or did you have to keep them separate? What was that balance like? For the younger kids, the ones that were unpredictable, I could not take them to work with me on sets they're sure. at any time going to start screaming about poo-poo mm -hmm. um, but for you know once my kids were four and five years old they would come with me on sets and it was fine and they would sit on my shoulders during scoring sessions and at my office my right hand confidant and music editor his name's jack diamond he had kids before me mm. and we retooled the setup at our office to accommodate the, you know, first toddlers, you know, first kids crawling and toddlers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My workspace, my primary workspace was a big cockpit in the middle of a big room. And we had a cage built for me. Uh -huh. I worked mm. in the cage. <laughs> and so the kids were free range and uh -huh. they could <laughs> into the cage to, to you know, it to me and right. I would put equipment with little blinky lights near the inside of the cage that they could reach and oh. whenever they'd reach to touch the buttons or the blinky lights I would go ah don't touch that don't touch that <laughs> and they would 
<laughs> touch yeah. the buttons. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Touch that. So that was how we adapted our workspace for it. So it was already a good, and I hired for our company a nanny mm-hmm. to watch oh, Jack's okay. kids because uh, his wife worked full time as a nurse. So I was already kind of well tooled for my kids to spend time at my office with me while I worked. Normal people work 40 or 50 hours a week. My job was not normal, so we had to architect a schedule that included time with dad. And usually, hopefully, uh, they would be able to make it over to my office during the day at some point, and then hopefully I'd be able to take a break for dinner Mm -hmm. and have dinner and read stories and put them to bed and then go back to work. Jonathan, I got another question for you. What is, over the past, I guess, roughly 25 years, what has been the most unexpected part of fatherhood for you? You know, whether that's a feeling, you know, an emotion that you didn't think you'd feel or a lesson you didn't think you'd have to teach your kids. What was the biggest surprise? The surprise was the feeling. The event was not a surprise. As you know, my wife and I were having all these kids and- (laughs) you don't get 75 shows by doing them one at a time either. So I was working a lot and that much work is really good for business, but (laughs) not good for your home life. And my wife and I, we were having all the way too many kids and we decided it was clear that those kids needed me more than Hollywood needed more of my music. So Mm. we picked a date. We said, well, how about in five years? This was in the year 2000. So I told my employers, my clients, I told the people that work for me, all the musicians that work for me, you got five years. And that's when Jonathan Wolf goes bye-bye. And wow. so in 2005, when that date arrived, it was a little bit sad professionally to say goodbye to some of these people that I'd we were a family. They were part of that yeah. village that helped raise my kids. It was a little bit sad to leave jobs, shows that were still healthy and strong and hit shows, shows like Will and Grace yep. and Reba. But I'd done plenty of music for Will and Grace. I had you know, 2000 plus piano music cues that I'd created for their transitions. Wow. And they hired my music editor, Jack, to keep using them in the next mm-hmm. year. And you know, the assistant Paul to create special materials. So my clients understood and they wished me well. And the surprise was the feeling that comes from being able to be a stay-at-home dad, a full-time PTA room parent, sports coach, volunteer, (laughs) field trip chaperone, because I was no longer working, which had been my primary identity. And now my only identity was husband and dad. And that was the surprise, how much I liked it, how much I enjoyed <laughs> doing it. And how, you know, there were, we moved away from Hollywood. We went yeah. into a Hollywood witness protection relocation program <laughs> and moved to yep. Kentucky. And even though I still got calls, people would reach out to my lawyer and say, hey, we want Wolf to write this music. That surprise of how much fun it was to be a full-time dad made it easy for me to decline all offers. And I just told my lawyer, you have authority in advance to say no to any offer. So that was the big surprise, how much fun it was, how much work it is, 
mm-hmm. I was exhausted at the end of the day. Yeah. And so I spent a lot of my day at the kids' schools. You know, you volunteer, you give out glue sticks and cupcakes and open juice boxes and help people with their backpacks and their shoes. And, mm-hmm. and it was really great. Now, I retired in 2005. And so you know that these kids are all grown mm-hmm. now and they don't need me 24-7. They're all college age. So the logical way to continue volunteering at their school was to become a college guest lecturer, which is what I've been doing for the last four or five years. I lecture at a lot of universities, a lot of music conservatories, and a lot of law schools. So I'm still volunteering at my kids' schools. It's just (laughs) a little bit more embarrassing for them now when right <laughs> during the lecture i you know, they show up at my lecture i go over and kiss them on the head yeah, another surprise that happened was the pandemic and yeah. three of my kids moved back into the house and it, it was a different vibe having three adults come back and move in the house and everybody's really good we got along fine uh, the only real problem was that because we're all together, we would take turns making big feast dinners every night. Oh, nice. And, you know, I gained about 300 pounds. Um, <laughs> we all have. It's fine. Yeah, I, that was not my plan. My plan for the pandemic was to, you know, get ripped. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, my retirement gift to myself was I, I built a really rocking gym. Mm-hmm. It's just a beautiful gym. It's, it's upstairs. It's in the tree canopy. And it's got, mm. It eventually grew into a, a CrossFit box. So oh, wow. I got everything I need to really work out strong. And I do. And my kids would each take turns getting in the gym with me. Or, nice. And we live at the edge of a great forested park. So they would take turns walking dad. Uh, so I, I was able to get a lot of fitness in, but boy, those those nightly feast family dinners were a killer. Yeah. Still, it was a nice experience that we were able to live together and you know work it all out and still love each other and still be friends. Yes. I am respiratory compromised. I have mm-hmm. asthma and I've had pneumonia a number of times in my life. So. I'm not a good candidate for surviving full-blown COVID. And my kids took that into consideration in every decision they made, even just going to the store to get something. They thought, Mm -hmm. all right, I got to be extra, extra careful. And if I go in there and there's people not wearing masks, I just don't go in. Jonathan, I want to know what has been the most rewarding thing uh, over the past quarter century of being a parent for you? It's hard to quantify one most rewarding thing. I guess every day now when I look down at my phone and it's one of my kids calling me mm-hmm. and they're grownups and they're adults and they have their own lives and they're busy. Uh, yeah. One's a neuroscientist and one's a biochemical scientist and they're all busy, wow. but they take the time to call me. And the ones who are in Louisville take the time to stop by and we visit in the backyard. So that mm-hmm. to me is the reward. That's the gravy from somehow surviving a lot of difficulties. Mm -hmm. Parenting is not always easy. And unlike, well, music, I'm not always very good at it. I don't 
draw myself towards things I'm not good at. I don't play golf because I don't, I'm not very good at it. Mm-hmm. But somehow I was able to keep, I was willing to be bad at being a parent long enough to get yeah. good at it. Right. Because <laughs> unlike me, I don't like being bad at stuff. Uh, and it has paid off. And that's the most rewarding thing is that now I have an excellent, wonderful, loving relationship with each of my kids. So um, how is retirement treating you now? Um, are you enjoying like being out of the game and having downtime? Or do you like get the itch every once in a while to get back in and, and make more music and stuff? The reality is I had a nice long turn at bat and hit the yeah. ball hard over mm-hmm. and over again. Exactly. And now it's someone else's turn. It's young people who are strong and smart and fast. And it's their turn to create the music for all the content in the world and i'm happy to see them doing it and i encourage them and when i go to their schools Mm -hmm. uh, i give lectures about how to do it now for me music it means when i'm left home alone and unsupervised i can sit at this piano and tell little stories and play music and you can see those on my instagram which is Mm -hmm. seinfeld music guy yeah. So uh, go check it out. Give it a follow because it could use some love. <laughs> Remember, I retired before social media took hold. Mm, so yeah. I am not very good at any of it, including Instagram. Yeah, my but, kids like to make fun of how few followers I have. So Jonathan, my last question for you before we let you go. Um, over the entire experience of parenting that you've had, lessons you've learned, what is the one piece of advice you might share with new moms and dads, or if you can't think of it, what is one thing you wish someone had told you at the very beginning of your fatherhood journey? It wouldn't be such an easy job if you didn't have to do it every day. And for those kids out there, never put your finger in that end of the dog. (laughs) I stole that. that. Yeah. I stole that from Dave Barry. (laughs) I considered before going on this to you know read up on some Dave Barry stuff so I'd have plenty of funny stuff to talk about, but I did not. It was fun doing, I did a TV series called Dave's World, which is all about parenting. Oh. And Dave's a parent and that's a lot about, but it's all based on the writing of Dave Barry. Oh, Harry okay. Anderson plays the role of Dave Barry on it. And what's funny is, is that during Dave's World is when I started being a parent. And I saw, I learned that people will make accommodations for you. I said, look, Mm -hmm. I got these, I got something to do with the fan. And they go, that's fine. So uh, I don't have any sage wisdom because I'm, I'm not an expert. Mm -hmm. Keep doing it. And when you mess up and you're going to mess up, you just kind of dust yourself off. Don't stay mad. Do it again. And eventually the kids will recognize that, that you didn't give up. Okay. That one didn't work out well, but you didn't give up. And that's kind of what I still do. And I expect I'm not through messing up. I'll make a few more mistakes as a dad. But the best you can do is try not to repeat them. I love that. And I think that's a great place to wrap ourselves up at. Uh, Once again, folks, our guest today has been Jonathan Wolf. Uh, You can find him on Instagram at Seinfeld Music Guy. He is also on Twitter at Seinfeld Music. Jonathan, do you have any uh, any websites or anything else you'd like uh, for us, our uh, listeners, to catch up with you on? I'm easy to find. I have a website called SeinfeldMusicGuy.com, but it's woefully outdated. Um, Reach out. 
send me a message. Let me know what you thought of this. Yeah, and book him for your next, uh, if, you, if you need a guest at your college. That's so cool. I love that you do that. <laughs> but that, that's been put on hold now for- Oh, for I sure, would, this year, yeah. Wait yeah. until <laughs> be all clear, but then. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Jesse, Brandon, what a pleasure. Thanks again to Jonathan for talking with us. You can follow him on Instagram and TikTok at Seinfeld Music Guy, on Twitter at Seinfeld Music, on Facebook at Jonathan Wolf, and at SeinfeldMusicGuy.com. This was just a small portion of our conversation with Jonathan. To hear the full interview, search for Dad Splaining a Fatherhood podcast on your favorite podcasting app. This week's musical guest is Bier, an artist from Southern Australia whose work ranges from cinematic folk to experimental electronic music inspired by Bon Iver, Twin Peaks, and Lord of the Rings. You can find his music on YouTube, Spotify, Instagram, and Bandcamp. From his sophomore album, Now There Are Some Things That Will Change, here is Bier with Dream in Blue.
Thanks for listening. Subscribe to The Other Side of Darkness so you won't miss the story once it begins this fall. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a positive reading and review on your podcasting app. Follow Sign Peaks on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, or join our Facebook group. Visit our store at signpeaks.threadless.com. 50% of proceeds for the month of August will be donated to Feeding America. And if you'd like to support this series, you can visit patreon.com signpeaks to get early access to episodes and exclusive merchandise. Intro theme by Patrick Edwards. Mid-show theme by Ivor Boets. Outro theme by Robert McDonald. All links mentioned can be found in this episode's show notes. The Other Side of Darkness was made possible thanks to the backing of over 100 supporters through sites like kickstarter.com. Here are just a few of those supporters I'd like to recognize. Levi Herrera. Derek Spevlin, Josh Katz, Kate Marcus, Olivia Popescu, Joe Crowley, Martin Luther Presley, and Evan Wise. If you enjoy this podcast, you might also enjoy watching Owen Wilson, the first podcast dedicated entirely to everyone's favorite catchphrase-loving comedic actor. Hosts Jake Menez and Michael J. Teeter make their way through Owen Wilson's entire filmography, rating each movie, counting each wow, and bringing in guests in an effort to befriend Owen Wilson himself. Find Watching Owen Wilson on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, and at watercooler.com. You can also listen to Mike Dowd, the voice of Kramer on this podcast, on his own podcast, Welcome to Twin Speaks. Here's Mike and co-host Janine with more. Hi, I'm Mike. And hello, I'm Janine. And this is Welcome to Twin Speaks. We are a bi-weekly podcast exploring the weird and wonderful world of David Lynch's master hit tv series twin peaks we will be going episode by episode really discussing the legacy of twin peaks that it's left for television and pop culture that maybe you've never heard before and if you're someone like me who's actually seeing it for the very first time um i welcome you to dive in with me with no spoilers as we go along and i avoid all the google researching in what's to come with fresh eyes and fresh ears and bask in the wonderfully weird. Yes. And if you've seen the show before, you can see it through the first time through Janine's eyes. It'll be like it'll be like you're watching Twin Peaks for the first time. So grab a cup of joe, grab some donuts and some cherry pie, and join us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to Twin Speaks. The Other Side of Darkness is written, performed, and produced strictly as a work of parody. 
The Other Side of Darkness is not endorsed by Castle Rock Entertainment, Sony Pictures, NBC, Warner Brothers Records, Rhino Records, Lynch Frost Productions, Twin Peaks Productions, CBS, or Showtime. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Seinfeld, the Seinfeld logo, and all Seinfeld characters, story elements, and intellectual property are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective trademark and or copyright holders. The makers of The Other Side of Darkness make no claims directly or indirectly of ownership to any elements held by these trademark and or copyright holders other than original characters, story elements, and other intellectual properties created specifically by the makers of this podcast. Musical elements referencing themes and motifs from the original theme music to Seinfeld and Twin Peaks are created expressly as works of parody and do not imply claims to ownership of said music.